Hi guys, it's Rosie. I had a couple things that I wanted to let you know just before we begin here. Uh, one thing is that we had a little bit of a technical issue. There was some lag on the recordings, so uh, my editing might be a little bit choppy. Hopefully it's okay. Uh, but there's that. And then the second thing is that we have a Patreon now. So uh, if you would like to support us uh, in a financial way, um, even with just like as low as $3, uh, that tier is available. And, uh, and there are tiers that go from $3 to $50 per month. Um, but we have a little bit more information on our next episode that we will expand a little bit and talk about the different levels for you. But I wanted to let you know that it is there, it is functional, and you can go see it if you would like. So that's patreon.com slash a vague knowledge of everything. And if you can only support us by listening then that is wonderful too. So thank you so much. Okay, welcome to A Vague Knowledge of Everything. We're in episode 14 now, so exciting. And... Uh, we're really excited about this episode today because uh, Hope got to reach out to an old friend. And I'm Hope, and I have an old college friend here with me. And I'm really excited to have you on because I feel like I knew you as one person in college. And like the last time we were hanging out in like 2015, and now it's 2021. I feel like I'm meeting you as this new person, and I'm really excited to like start this next phase of us being friends because I feel like you're one of those people I can reach out to and it's like nothing is different. So my friend Brogan is here today to talk to us. Brogan, do you want to introduce yourself? Thank you so much, Hope. <laughs> I am just honestly so excited to talk to you also. It's been a minute. My pronouns are they, them, theirs for everybody who's joining the call. <laughs> I'm a non-binary person living in the United States of America and Hope I'm going to have to um, say thank you for your new friendship with Rosie here. But um, Rosie, I'm not old at all. I'm always youthful. So um, I will always be a new friend. <laughs> There's always going to be a new version of Rogan to offer. So thank all you right. so much. But um, yeah, like Hope said, one of <laughs> the enough. things that's really important um, and that I'm excited to share with you all is that um, I'm somebody who really, really believes in the manifestation of ever-changing selves and the person as something that is an ever-changing self and that is a reality for most people. Um, so I'm really, really excited to just connect with you both and sort of share how I um, experienced that through my own expression and then talk about it and how it makes sense in almost all parts of my life. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you, I see you posting a lot on Facebook hey. about you were involved with trans youth um, in Pittsburgh and I see you out in New York and San Francisco and it looks like you're kind of just going around to all these different places. Can you explain like maybe what a normal year for you looks like or a normal day, normal quote unquote, and like kind of what you're doing with your purpose? Yeah, that's um, wow. I wish that I had a normal day. Um, <laughs> Let's say I, like, typical, don't even know typical instead of like. normal. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> let me just be really honest. Typical looks like right now I have a Volkswagen Tiguan that is packed to the brim with mostly logistical essentials. So this includes... Um, a few carpets, it includes a few mirrors, it includes lighting sets, it includes film equipment, it includes um, two weeks worth of clothing and a bunch of artwork and a bunch of hair. So what this looks like is it's literally a moving van of affirmation as we're moving around the country making sure that people who are accessing gender affirming medical services in major cities in the United States are feeling excited, welcomed, taken care of, and empathetically, enthusiastically hugged and loved by people like me to make sure that they recognize that the steps that they're taking to take care of themselves and be a part of our healthcare system is really, really beautiful. It's wonderful because most people out here aren't even washing their hands. So. 
I'm just really excited to be somebody who's putting myself in a position where I'm connecting with people who are very, very strategically taking care of themselves. So that's what it looks like. It's kind of crazy because to find communities of people and individuals that have looked at all of the parts of their life and decided that they wanted to actualize what is the most important to themselves, um, there's some pretty resilient people. So you have to, sometimes you gotta get dirty. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I, today it's me driving around the car. <laughs> yeah. Um, that looks pretty similar to how some tall ship sailors live where you just like have your whole life in your car and you just go from boat to boat. So this looks completely ordinary to me. <laughs> um, I know. And that's what, so I'm so glad to hear you say that. Can I just yeah, be like, can you expand a little bit? Because that's my goal. Mm -hmm. This needs to be ordinary. <laughs> Tell me why it looks that's ordinary. Totally like like that. that whole. I've had everything in my car before. Like my little, my old um, Pontiac Vibe, which it's is actually new, a right? Toyota. Like not... I just, I was it's like, I'm going to shove everything though. in my car. I'm not lying. I'm not going to lie to you. This is how like that reaction that you have is almost the reaction that I have by all cis and all non-LGBTQIA people. But then when I meet queer people, they're like, oh my God, like you're crazy. This makes so much sense. But like, they don't have the agency to do it themselves to put the logistics into mm -hmm. action of like making people feel joyous about being queer. And then uh, and through time, I realized that it's like, oh girl, I was doing this for me, but this is just a road show, <laughs> so, you know? So that's what it, it really becomes through time is it, it really is just like anything else, you know, art and, and genuine um, human expressions. So it's pretty fun. And I think that for the same way for you, that's what it looks like as a sailor, right? Like you're really loving mm -hmm. it and you're, you're digging it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you, I would explain, being a tall ship sailor is calling it half homeless. Cause it was like, well, we don't really like have a set home, but I like to think about it as like, there's multiple places that I can go and drop my stuff and it wouldn't be weird. So it's having actually like multiple homes instead of being homeless. Yeah. And you always have like the skills after that to have a home, mm -hmm. because if you can be a deckhand and you're willing to like even work for free, then you have somewhere you wow. can live. This is, I got to tell you about, this is really an awesome, um, conversation for me just the insight wise because i think in in a lot of ways whenever i get to talk to people who are not a part of trans and non-binary spaces um what i'm doing looks like and is paralleled to quote unquote homelessness or instability but when i'm working within trans and non-binary spaces what i'm doing looks like liberation freedom and access um, mm -hmm. so I think one of the things that I'm really, really interested in as somebody who in my body and in my own experience has had a lot of privilege is helping these two worlds sort of do a better job of understanding that they both are experiencing the same things, but there's a way in which there can be very simple logistics put into place where those same experiences are not uncomfortable. They're not survival. They're not um, things that lead to liberation, <laughs> you know? So I think that that's something that for me and my own experience as somebody who's gender expansive, it, it really truly becomes a truth that, that that systematic, okay, we're packing down to put everything into a bag and we're then gonna move on to the next place. That's something that a lot of transgender and non-binary people experience multiple times a day because they're seen by people or they're interacting with people that literally misgender them, mispronoun them, and they have to pack themselves up and move on. So it's something that's a trauma that is experienced by the community multiple times a day. So therefore then when someone does this or like has a job like this and it's like, oh, I'm completely independent. I don't have to answer to any of that anymore. 
it looks so exciting, so enthralling. While for me, as somebody who's always been very much like my my family and where I come from in southwestern Pennsylvania, we are nasty people. So you know, I love them to death, but like. I, nasty farm, like white rural farmers, MAGA supporters. I was raised in some nasty land. And like, I, you know, I'm very much trying to reclaim what is the joy of um, liberating that land back. But like, one of the things that um, I recognize is that because I have had that experience and hope I would love for you to share this, um, you know, feedback with me is that like institutional uh, privilege is something that I greatly benefit from and mm -hmm. something that I am somebody, no matter where I've been, what I'm doing, I immediately become somebody who's a leader and people want me to be the president. They want me to be the socialite. They want me to be somebody who's just making decisions because of that privileged system. Mm -hmm. No matter what, I don't even like it. Most of the time I'm like just trying to get drunk or dance with everybody else, but all of a sudden <laughs> I'm the center of the drama. Like, so, yeah. you know, and it's like, if I make a bad decision. Everyone's like, oh, so, you know, Hope watched me do that in a fraternity for two years and even lost some of our close friendships because of the drama related to it. So like, and it was just like, a lot of it wasn't even me. It was just, I'm somebody who, if I participate in institutional privilege, not only do I do really well, I am extremely good at it and I mm -hmm. love organizing. Um, and it, it's intimidating to people. So um, that's something that I'm really trying to learn now that like is so weird because I get to connect with friends and it's like, we're having this connection where we're like, oh yeah, duh, logistics, like half homelessness. Like, and that's, I'm like, you guys get it. <laughs> like I'm living out of my car. <laughs> but then like, there's also the other side of the dream where I recognize that this is something that people, a lot of people, and on the other world of community and marginalized communities are like, wow, I could never even imagine owning a car that is full of my stuff that I, you know, I'm driving across the country, you know? So that mm -hmm. dream for people is literally an American dream. And I'm happy and proud to prove that it's possible and do my very best to just like let other people know that it's, it's feasible, it's tangible. <laughs> so if yeah. If you feel comfortable going through this, so I'm going to talk about a little bit like where we met. And then, um, so we met in college when you were a freshman, I was a sophomore and we can cut this part out. And you can tell me if this is offensive, but do you remember what you thought you to yourself? Okay. Do you remember what you thought to yourself first time you saw me? Do you remember your first impression? What you told me? Um, I'm I had my phone because I don't. <laughs> I had oh, my yes! phone hook and you said oh, you thought you were so. <laughs> Wait, I you thought said, what? Who is this? You said, who is this loud lesbian here? <laughs> yes! I saw you and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Have to be friends. I was like, whoever you are, yeah. we're literally vibing. Yeah, uh, so then, I remember because uh, you were with Tori, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when wasn't I? <laughs> right, right, that's true. Yeah. Um, oh, so yeah, so then much. we were friends. <laughs> <laughs> so then we were friends, and I grew my hair out, and so we were just like buddies because I was close with the frat that you were in, and we were just friends all throughout college, and then we we're both in Pittsburgh for a little bit. And I saw you outside of the bakery I was working at in 2016, like randomly in the strip one day. And I think that's the last time we talked to each other until this year when I was trying to do stuff with my other job that didn't pan out when I reached out to you. So mm. I'm curious about, because I can see parts of you that I recognize from when we were in college, like being driven, being the leader, being organized. Cause you were organized in all kinds of school stuff. And you were always like, one of the higher ups, even when you were like just newly at school and you dressed a lot different back then. And it was a different vibe that you were giving off from when I knew you. Um, so I was just curious about, can you give the quick and dirty or the not quick and dirty version of how we got from, you know, 
college Brogan to 2021 Brogan. Brogan. Or honestly, you could even yeah. start even farther because. Thanks, Rosie. I appreciate that and hope. Yeah. Um, I think that college was the breeding ground of what was who Brogan is. Um, it was an opportunity for me to start as an adult, like being like, oh, I'm alone and this is who I am. And I'm making relationships with people and making mistakes. And, um, you know, now I'm really proud to look at th those four years and all those friendships and think about who stuck around and who still reaches out to me for who were good friends and who were good people in that way. And um, for who like understood who I was in doing all of that. Um, but anyway, I appreciate you, Rosie, for bridging the opportunity to make the connection to an earlier self because um, I started crying and asking to be a different gender when I was about four years old. Um, so that's whenever yeah. you could like actually speak and start to recognize difference in people. Um, I dressed as a girl all the way up until I was about 14 years old. I stole my sister's clothes and often played house throughout my entire family and then also would like run around with my like little clique of friends um, and always be on the girl's side. And it wasn't until I went to about fifth grade that I had my hair about like this long. It was bl long blonde hair. And I started getting harassed in middle school a lot as like just super gay. And that's when everybody started getting puberty and hormones and everybody was like clicking up and dating. So I was just obviously the F word and I was just like, okay, <laughs> great. So I cut my hair off and shaved it down to look like a boy. And then was like immediately beginning to be socialized as a boy. While prior to that, um, I was mostly just kind of just broken. Like nobody, I, I didn't really have a gender because I was, always either wearing my hair was really long my I was always you know wearing different gendered clothes even when I played youth sports all the way up until like middle school my hair was always in a ponytail so um most people that knew me and my family knew that like a lot of people would mistake me and be like oh what a beautiful little girl my mom would be like oh no that's my son and they're very very beautiful aren't they so my mom would always like correct them that like their assumption of my gender was like not something that was cool. Um, so my family never really did a great job of fostering and, you know, providing therapy for what that experience was. They did the best that they could and just allowing me to be who I was. And then when I hit the age of puberty, that's when it was like socializing with the outside world kind of took over and all the boys were bullies and all the girls were just trying to be prom queens. So I had to fit into one category or the other or be in between. Um, so unfortunately, I was a prom queen bully. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, okay, now I'm going to be homecoming queen, top of the chart, and everybody's ugly. <laughs> so I was just a very mean person for most of my high school career. And that's who helped met in college was a very mean, angry boy that was um, socialized to be somebody who was very rural, loved to pretend to watch football to get attention or be around other guys because I was attracted to them. Um, and then also loved feminine people like Hope and Tori and, um, but also with like a sort of an edge to them because it also, shut up, chill, I know. That's, I was like, I'm not finished. I was like, hold on, let me throw in the butch part. Um, but you know, so it's like, <laughs> I, at that time when Hope met me, it was like, I was this boy that was really trying to actualize being a boy going to college and getting an education. And at the same time, I was very much a gender expansive person that had been holding that back for most of my development and teenage years. And then I was still holding on to the attractions that were related to my gender, like sexual attractions, friend attractions, joy. Like I, when I saw Hope, it was like, she said, you know, I was like, oh, I don't even like whatever this situation is into it. You know what I mean? Because that's how I was always like myself. And then, you know, it. so anyway, it's a very, very complicated situation. And I, I am so excited to describe that because I think eventually we'll get to a place where people can understand how socialization of gender is really challenging for people. But um, where hope I, you know, I don't know, you said that it was uncomfortable. I was going to ask if you're uncomfortable if I started to share maybe a little bit about the details of our relationship in college for how um, Brogan is Brogan now. 
No, I would just say maybe um, don't name specific people because we haven't gotten consent from, you know, certain people. So like probably first names are fine, but I don't know about last names. That's all. If you're okay with that. Yeah. Well, it's more of that. Like, I think some of it might be stuff that I haven't also told hope, like, because oh, we haven't boy. had time to talk about it. That might be like yeah. secrets. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, so I don't know. If I'll, I'll let you know if I'll, I'll say red light if stuff gets <laughs> too much, but I'm, I don't know if you know this, I'm going to school for social work now. So I'm pretty, pretty open to very vulnerable conversations. I didn't know. And I'm so proud of you. You're going to be amazing at that. I mean, I think want to be a yeah, therapist. You're one of the most, me too, girlfriend. Well, I'm going to go for my psych D because I have to fucking give people hormones. So I have, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately a lot more schooling to do, but I might try anyway, let's get into this because anyway, Rosie's question was, how yeah. did we get here? So when I met to, um, to Brogan from childhood to now, uh, and then now we're at meeting hope, um, Hope and I Where college. everyone's life starts. <laughs> Where everyone's, honestly. Rosie, did you like have any fun, exciting <laughs> stuff happen to you in college that was like, I don't know, gender or sexual orientation related? No. I mean, like, not personally, no, not really. I've always been like vaguely bisexual, but it's like a, it's kind of like a 70 30 yeah, situation. So it's like I love that. mostly been men. I, so, so I definitely I present think that as very that's straight. Funny because whenever I got to um, Allegheny College, I think the first thing that I was telling people that I was a metrosexual. Um, and then I was like, then I was bisexual, then I was pansexual, <laughs> then I was gay. Mm -hmm. Oh no, then I was queer, and then I was gay. But I don't think I was gay in college until probably the end of my junior year. Um, yeah, so I never. Like, I didn't like come out in college. You were always you always told me you were like straight. Yeah. Well, hope that's why I needed to tell you ask for your permission um, because hope <laughs> and I are such good friends one of the people that we shared a relationship with hope also had a mutual attraction to for probably like a year or two where we both had similar mutual attractions um and i was actually in a deep traumatic relationship with that person and i unfortunately had to like falsely lie to you about that because of that person's inability to accept what was going on with what our relationship was um yeah they told me about and that it sat with uh, oh they did about four years ago yeah so i'm i'm aware that something was going on but i was trying to be a good friend in college and i was just like whatever they tell me is what's happening and i'm not gonna make any assumptions if something else goes going on they'll tell me about it if they want to but whatever they tell me is the truth so that's where i was in college and i was like whatever's going on is fine i don't care it's all good well, so. yeah, I appreciate you for that. I think one of the biggest guilty things that I feel and reflecting back on that relationship now for how Rogan has come to this space to be a lot more confident to be myself is looking back at that relationship and realizing that that was not Brogan who was in that relationship. Like Brogan was somebody who, and still is, is somebody who wanted and to express love, be excited about love and share that love with anybody and everybody. And I found somebody in college that was like very much excited about that too. Um, gave me a lot of affirmation in um, ways that I hadn't experienced before. And then I unfortunately um, sort of focused all my energy in on that one person. And um, that was fun. But I think that for me, reflecting back, you know, and how I've come to this self where I can heal from all of what was going on in that relationship, like, I look back and I think about hope so much because I think about how how many times I wanted to just be honest with hope and be myself and think about how we missed out on so many opportunities in our relationship to have a great time because somebody else was being selfish in their own trauma. And that's something that I will never do again. I've learned from that experience. Um, I'm somebody who, when I have those moments of discomfort and oh, something's wrong or I don't feel right. Um, I remember that this world is fucking what you make it. 
And if you're going to sit there and be shaking in your boots, then that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I'm, it, that's kind of just one of the things that I, you know, I, I love that hope <laughs> continues to reach out to me because I have deep, deep pain from um, those years of not being able to connect with hope in ways that I was like, Oh my God, this is my best friend. I want to tell her, but I can't because it would break her heart and ruin all of this like protection of everybody's privacy and consent. And I just didn't know what to do. So, um, I don't, I don't want you to look back. I don't want you to look back on that friendship with any amount of pain because there's so much good and whatever you had to go through was the journey you had to take. And that's not something that we can change. And I'm not going to, I don't want you to be upset about it. I'm not upset about it. You weren't ready. It wasn't the time. That's not anybody's fault. I don't want to take anything away from your experience and what you were talking about. But a lot of what you were saying is also how I feel about my college boyfriend. And I know you've been posting about Taylor Swift a lot on Facebook. And she has this song off of her newest album called Tolerate It. Where it's talking about being with a guy and it says like, I know my love should be celebrated, but I watch you tolerate it. And that's exactly how college boyfriend was where it was like, I know this is supposed to be different, but I don't have the tools to make it different. I don't have any experience. I don't know any different. I just know that you tolerating it is something that I need to be thankful for. And so I I think that in the way that it was like not out in the open, it was still also like a very regular experience for most college kids but it did have you know everyone's different in their own way but do you know what i'm saying does that make sense are you playing it <laughs> we can we can maybe put like a sound bite in i can find out like i think it's like 15 seconds or less i don't have to pay her for it because i don't have honestly the money to these taylor two swift albums by taylor swift have been <laughs> like the last two months i'm like thank god this girl exists because everybody forgets that like i'm also a love heart like Nicholas Sparks, like little girl in the middle of southwestern Pennsylvania, just looking for. She's from PA, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, she's from Reading, PA. Is it yeah. to There's nothing wrong out here dreaming to have a, a fairy tale ending? Like, what? Why are we hating Taylor Swift for just dreaming? Like, I don't. So, um, I love you know, her. I don't. I don't. I'm with her. I'm like, she deserves it. We all do. Like, you know. So, um, I'm. I, I I love you so much for just like having that connection and um, yeah, it is a learning experience. And um, I think that that's really, for me, it was like that that's where now in my adulthood, it's a little disappointing. And that's why I, it's not pain that I want to like ruminate on, but I wanted to share it with you on this call. Cause it was like, I, I in developmentalness stuff, it's like now it's like, I'm going to go have relationship stuff as Brogan, who's an adult, who's almost 27 and starting an organization and loves to go to the grocery store wearing a wig and tell everyone to fuck off if it's a problem and like call the police. It's drama. Like everything's a goddamn show. And it's fun because that's what I love to do. But like, I don't have the same sort of like social system of a college or university to be like, oh, you know, my boyfriend's being mean, (laughs) you know? It's not the same as um, the way that I... Yeah. We went to such a small college. It was so hard to not be like up in everyone else's shit. Like I would, people knew me before I introduced myself and I was like, do you know English classroom hope? Or do you know Saturday night hope? Those are two different people. I need to know where you know me from. Cause this is, don't have my consent right now to know me. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> how I feel. Right. Is like one of the, see, this is why you already know it. You know what I'm doing. It's basically, you know, what hat are you putting on? It's like, mm-hmm. am I Saturday night? Brogan? Am I coffee with coffee with Brogan? Am I Brogan wearing a wig? What do you want me to be? Um, so that's kind of what um, is exciting for me is that I'm starting to realize that there's all of these different parts of myself that are really, really fun and really exciting. And I love being all of them. Um, and it's been interesting that I've been surrounded by so many people that are not doing that for themselves. <laughs> so. Yeah. so just real quick. So I last saw you in college. So like we, you know, we had all this, we had really fun friendship and everything. And then can you talk to me about after college and what happened and all of the 
changes and stuff that you went through to get to where we are now. You don't sure. have to also. Um, no. Yeah, of course. I'm glad we're continuing to think about it beyond college. So I think I graduated in, yeah, I graduated 2016. So it's five years ago now. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Awesome. <gasps> oh, that's right. This year's our five year reunion. Um, so basically <laughs> I started working at a bar in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was bartending cocktails, learning how to bartend, um, fancy, fancy cocktails and do high-end um, cocktail bartending. And it was really fun. And I worked there for about two years. Um, I was just kind of exploring what it was like to be out as gay in Pittsburgh. Um, and I met some of the most incredible performance artists in the city by the names of The Moon Baby, Princess Jafar, Gia Fagnelli, and oh, she changes her name all the time. Um, but Retta Lynn, or uh uh, um, these are all transgender, non binary drag performance artists, um, that are not like RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> these are artists that will get on stage and do all kinds of different performance art from vocal exploration to things that I've learned called grunge or something where they pour food all over themselves. Um, so I just started meeting these people in my social realm where they were gender expansive people that were performance artists. And they started, you know, making it very clear to me that this was one of the only spaces where they were doing whatever they wanted as the gender that they wanted to present. And this is one of the only spaces they felt affirmed and people would celebrate that experience with them. So that's what happened was I was broken, newly out as gay because I was tired of being oppressed in college and tired of being traumatized by people who didn't want to love me. And I was socializing to love other people. And I met people loving themselves so hard that they were like, you know what? This is the only place that actually loves me back is when I'm doing this stuff. And that's cool. And I was like, you know what? If the only place is me going to be on stage or in a parking lot and it looks like a performance and that's me being who I am and people think it's art, well, good for them. So that was one of the most incredible opportunities was I allowed myself to interact with other creative transgender and non-binary people that um, were unapologetic about their their brilliance, unapologetic about who they were and what they were doing. And um, if you were there to see them or if you were there to comment or observe, then it was completely because you were interested in them. And I'd never really witnessed that kind of confidence and witnessed that kind of power before um, until that point. So um, like I had said, I think what had happened was I had never met transgender people that were proud um, until after college. Um, and I was about 20, two or 23. And I met some performance artists that still are on my Spotify playlist and some of the most iconic songwriters I've ever met or listened to. And I have never stopped believing in the brilliance of transgender and non-binary people from that point, because I believe that we're some of the people that exist in the world that um, seek truth, seek honesty, um, and champion it um, more than anybody's ever witnessed in their life. So it's something that um, I'm excited to continue to doing and I'm just I'm I apologize to myself for the last 24 years of trying to figure out how to not do that <laughs> so uh, in terms of your your work what organizations did you work with before uh, and what I think what like what is the ultimate goal of your uh, the organization you're starting now Great questions. Um, thank you. So I started working with the human rights campaign in New York City and Manhattan in 2015. Um, I worked with the human rights campaign as a grassroots canvas organizer for three months and raised $400,000 on the streets of New York City and Manhattan. Um, Damn. And that summer, uh, we donated that money to the United States um, efforts in terms of passing marriage equality for the Supreme Court. And you saw the Marriage Equality Act pass in 2015. 
I'm proud of my work. I've never stopped advocating for LGBTQIA excellence, and I'm not ever going to stop doing that because it's something that even in the times of the United States where we're discussing race politics, the LGBTQIA community is being ignored. And I'm not interested in participating in conversations about race that do not have conversations about the intersectionalities of LGBTQIA identities in Black communities. So that's something that's I think I think we really need to do. Um, I'm not black, but I will advocate and violently um, rhetorically demonstrate deliveries of messaging that black individuals need supported who are queer identifying. I am also, um, you know, for me, so that work was really, really powerful understanding that I was a fundraiser in 2015. I didn't know that you could fundraise for LGBTQIA rights and that it would actually have impact like that. So. Then in 2016, when I graduated college, I joined um, what was the like queer community in Pittsburgh as I was working at that bar um, in it, it, the Strip District. And it was just honestly a mess. Like I had worked at Persad, I'd worked at, um, I, I volunteered at the Delta Foundation. I helped with pri anything that was LGBTQIA in Pittsburgh. You could have, I could have put my name on it. Um, so then, anyway, I started a nonprofit with my girlfriend Dina Stanley um, called Trans Uniting. Um, she's the leader of it. She's the champion of it. I just support the communications end of it, um, like the website and all the back end tech. Um, and then I joined the board of an organization called Proud Haven. And I started fundraising in Pittsburgh um, for Proud Haven. And then I also, on the back end of Proud Haven, because Proud Haven was the 5013C, um, was helping Dina set up TransUniting as a nonprofit. Um, so in 2018, we officially launched TransUniting as a nonprofit underneath of Proud Haven. Um, and so that was when I raised about $2,500 via Facebook just to get some, um, you know, energy amongst my friends. Um, and that allowed me to then raise, uh, I think like $120,000 in grants and like other different types of fundraising. Cause I had proved that it was like, in even in Southwestern Pennsylvania, my friends think it's important. So, um, that allowed for us to open up a storefront, um, in the North side on Main on East Ohio Street to offer a drop-in center for LGBTQIA youth. And then Dina still runs TransUniting, which offers um, emergency housing for trans and non-binary people experiencing instability in Pittsburgh. So the work is um, endless because it's multifaceted and takes multiple institutions and sectors of society to serve what is mental health in this country. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that my goal as an organizer and as somebody with this organization is, um, you know, it's an organization of movement. It's a, not an organization of profit or philanthropy or um, something that's organized around programming or servicing. Um, this is something that we all need to invent and decide together because it's a future that is not yet here. Um, and it's one that dismantles private healthcare and asks our communities to start to turn in to what is well-being and what is health and unpack the reality that gender and sex are human experiences and need included in primary care at mm -hmm. the levels of age to three years old. Like children, when they're learning with symbols, need to be able to understand what is gender and sex because I, as a human that's valid in the world, at four years old, was asking for explanations about gender and sex and was denied and oppressed because of the systems of this private mm -hmm. healthcare system. Because I was labeled yeah. as yeah. an infant. So yeah, I'm not interested in um, that system. So that's the direction of this organization is to pull together any effort any body and any energy that is in the sector of society that dismantles science in the Western part yeah. of the hemisphere as a fucking lie, because that's capitalism. Right. It's not science to put an F mm -hmm. or an M on somebody's body. So I'm very interested in making sure that we just continue to learn together. So it sounds like wild, because it's really not that crazy. That, and it's just kind of like, 
why we all learn this, but then we kind of forget about it. And then like our doctors go to school and just continue it, even though they know that like homeostasis means that your body's ever changing. And when you get a baby with gender, you know, chromosomes, it's only that you put M on it because it has multiple X chromosomes. Like it's not, there's every baby has multiple chromosomes like that are not just. So anyway, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's where we, we uh, oh, I just wanted to say, can we uh, talk a little bit about uh, the discrimination that uh, the trans people and non-binary people uh, yeah, uh, experience in the medical field? Because I, I know that there's there's a lot of that and it'd be probably, I think, beneficial to talk about specifically, like, what are some of the things that can happen to a trans person going to a doctor who is not um, supportive of them as they should be? Yeah, I mean, all kinds of things that are just grotesque happen. Um, thank you so much for inviting the opportunity to specifically speak about medical care. Um, because right now, I think very much like I spoke about conversations with race, um, LGBTQIA people and trans and non-binary people are being left out of the conversation when it comes to COVID-19. Um, I've had conversations with medical providers and primary care providers that say, oh, but this is an everyone effort, the whole country that are on the front line. These are people in hospital positions that two years ago, when we were an, an all people on board boat, were able to look at me and recognize that there was value in why the words LGBTQIA and trans and non-binary were essential to their upfront messaging about what they offered people because of the lack of visibility. So now here we are in a fucking COVID, a pandemic, and you're saying you want to treat your most poor, your most sick, your most unhealthy. And now we can't even remember to say black, indigenous, trans, non-binary, LGBTQIA people, all please come get your COVID-19 shots in the first round of most vulnerable. Oh, no. Okay. The most vulnerable are the people that are actually mm -hmm. at the hospitals. That's so interesting because I'm pretty sure a couple months ago, the most vulnerable were the people that I'm running around with talking to that are still sleeping in the street because the people at the hospitals have salaries and homes. So again, I'm not interested in this system. I'm not interested in anybody who's participating with it that thinks that this is science. I think uh, maybe I'm a, it's not really conspiracy. It's literally just capitalism. So um, to invite the conversation about how do trans and non-binary people experience discrimination? Well, um, we're not, um, it's like you go to Walmart and you're like, Hey Walmart, I really need my super extra, 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 extra hydration lotion. I know it's like really expensive for you to carry it, <laughs> but it's extra, 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 extra. It's for me. Um, I'll buy it like every week. And Walmart's like, you know what? That's nice, but there's just one of you. So no. And then that's just like, that's, that's just it. Then I'm fucked. So then I have to go to the street and then I have to be like, oh, well, Walmart doesn't have it. My friends don't have it. <sighs> oh. That person with a car full of shit looks like they might have it. Huh. I might go over there. So that's the specialization of healthcare. And that's why trans and non-binary people are in their cars. Because the way that we experience discrimination is because it's a privatized, specialized healthcare system that forces people to make decisions about their care that is aligned with wealth, privilege, and capitalism. So if you wanna be healthy, then you're paying for yoga 10 times a week. And if you wanna be mm -hmm. well, then you're paying for body massages and fucking vegan food and fucking, you know, whatever. You just gotta be rich is what the whole system demands of you. And if you're not, well, then go to the CVS to get your flu medicine.
Yeah, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of uh, socioeconomic blocks that are put in the way of trans people. So if you're not allowed to take part in the capitalist system, like even if you wanted to and you're discriminated enough to be kept out of that, then that's going to then snowball into the, you know, not having health care and all that kind of stuff. You said it because, you know, think about yeah. it. It's like if you go to the grocery store to get yourself a bag of lettuce and then you go to the grocery store and the grocery store is like, oh, no, girlfriend, you can't buy that lettuce. You look like a whatever they want to say um, because of lack of protections. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, now not only do I feel terrible about myself and might have suicidal ideation, I'm going to just not eat. So have a great day. Thanks. <laughs> so to participate in capitalism for trans and non-binary people to participate in Western society literally means to participate in trauma. So that's yeah. why, you know, for a lot of people, it's just not happening because it's like, wow, I'd much rather sit at home and smash my potatoes. <laughs> you know, like, that's just it. So yeah. unfortunately, we all experience it. Um, one thing that I would like to continue doing as a trans person and of gender expansive experience is because this is so challenging in multiple ways for our community that it's like violently attacked at all levels and then including healthcare. One of the things that I always want to include is that our community is incredibly invested in the success and wealth and health of our allies. So it's very important to me that like when people are reaching out to our community and asking us what do we need that we're constantly doing that as well and that's who we are because we're not in a position we're not in positions where we're we're looking to benefit from things that like are, are not mutual and you know so my my an example would be oh so as female-bodied people identifying people, where in the healthcare system are you feeling invalidated? Where are you feeling like there needs to be change? Because I know there's plenty of things going on in the realm of the world of what it needs to be in your body that's also incredibly violating and challenging. The childbirth process so is... I, you know... I, mm -hmm. Right? Like... That's a anything related to hormones, yeah. because people can say that hormones aren't actually there and you're just being a bitch. Yeah. You know, can we work on this together. I want to get women to rally around getting FDA approval of hormones because I'm done with hormones, like not being something that is like a regular the, thing that people can have treatment around. The hill I want to die on is how women and girls with ADHD are either misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. Hello. Like, I, I can't stop yeah. thinking about it and talking about it. Private healthcare is such a joke. I have been in clinical therapy for almost six years. Mm -hmm. I've had the same psychiatrist for six years. I see him every six months. He misgenders me every time, mm -hmm. never remembers what I'm on, always fucks up my medication and gives me a new resident to have an appointment. I've been documenting this for six years with UPMC, and all of it has included my chronic homelessness, my ability to secure permanent housing in the city of Pittsburgh, and now have a network of therapists in the city of Pittsburgh that are working at the city level that all support me in using my property that's permanent housing as emergency space for trans and non-binary people, because I'm changing that system. I'm not interested in anybody who's denying me or not looking at me and thinking that I have a valid experience. You know what? It, it would be nice if somebody who's licensed, and this goes back to me being a frat boy, is if they showed up for the same meeting every week, right? Like if I had a therapist or a psychiatrist, the same one that showed up every Monday at seven o'clock for my half hour meeting. Nope, just can't. Why? Who fucking knows? Is it my problem? I don't know. But the lack of accountability and the lack of understanding and empathy to actually be present, not my vibe. Like, and I'm not trying to have experiences where, you know, there's medical providers that hop on a phone with 20 people a day and are like, um, so, oh, your, your mom died and you're now homeless and um, you just shot your dog. Like, so, okay, that all seems pretty normal. Are you on your, um, 
you know, Zoloft, we have you on 200 milligrams. Um, are you on your uh, Buspirone? We have you on 30 milligrams. How's your heart rate? We actually haven't had your blood panel in almost a year. Yeah. It's not my yeah. experience. These are case studies. This is because I've listened to therapists who fail no. HIPAA compliance and tell me their patient stories. So when I'm honest, just Brogan, and I'm just Brogan, unfortunately, I scare the world because I honestly just tell everybody a little bit of truth. And it makes them very uncomfortable because I'm not somebody who's interested in participating in it. I'm interested in calling it out. So for me, it's like, okay, great. Um, that's how I have all this information. Now that I have the information, you know what, Brogan, you're a privileged body. Why don't you go do it? You make sure that what they said was true. <laughs> and boy, was it. <laughs> so, this bitch is running for Senate. I'm taking the whole system. I want UPMC's cash. I want motherfucking any healthcare foundation that's federally qualified for serving community. I'm done. I'm done, 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 done. People like you, people like me, people like everybody going to Walmart, getting their jobs every day and find a challenging time with their employer's insurance plan because it covers nothing that they need while they're breaking their backs, throwing around boxes. Um, we're just going to sit at the same table and we're going to have a conversation while I drive my Volkswagen full of shit up to their mansions. And I'm going to sit there in my pretty dress and say, hi, Kings and Queens. Here's my chickens. I'm ready to cut your heads off unless you start to bleed a little bit. So welcome to the party. It sounds violent. It sounds rhetorical. It's, it, it's a demonstration of where I'm willing to go as a person. That's not really what I would ever do in action, right? So it's like, that's the organizer. It's like, this is where we're going. This is what we need to like actualize for people in their minds is this is what's happening. So we can't, you know, if you find yourself in these positions of feeling stagnant, you have to move. You have to, you have to motivate. Um, otherwise, yeah, they're just going to keep pissing on your chickens. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say specifically now when we've like, we just went through an election and we went from like a horrible president to like, hopefully some people who will do some good. And we still need to understand that, like, just because it's not the horrible shit show that it's been, um, that it's a far from where we need to be as far as uh, healthcare for everyone and uh, a lot of social justice issues. And just because the Democrats are in power, we also need to, sorry, what? Oh, I'm so sorry, Rosie. I just like bulldoze <laughs> people. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, I was just saying we need to continue to hold people accountable. Um, you know, even if <laughs> those of us who voted for Democratic uh, people who got into office, uh, that doesn't mean we're done. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's so important. Um, I know we've been on the phone for a minute, um, so I want to respect both your time. But I also want to just say, can we take the lens off queer stuff for a hot second? Because I feel like what yeah. you just said inspired me. Sure. So I, I would love your interpretations of my reaction to this. I am also in, in the breath of a platform for what is my adventure to running for a state office. I'm really frustrated that one of the things that fell to the wayside in this plan from the health care professionals from the start, the lack of intersectionality and design, planning, approach, and execution in compliance with global agreements to environmental sustainability. I think that this was a rapid response that has people now rapidly returning to the use of plastics, rapidly returning to the use of paper products and rapidly disposing of anything and everything around them much more often and frequently than before. We, prior to COVID-19, were experiencing one of the greatest declines in our economy due to the ways in which the eastern part of the hemisphere 
were choosing to no longer accept our recyclables and trash because of how toxic and expensive it was for them to reproduce. So it was on us to begin reinventing the ways in which we trashed our own things because we were no longer making money from those products. I'm interested in holding the entire nation and Western hemisphere of culture accountable for this disgusting tribute to capitalism that feels inherent and erases any logic of humanhood. It's the most dehumanizing system that we've just agreed to participate in because it's simply easy. While we are now witnessing because of those choices, our population numbers decline in greater numbers when pandemics happen because of our institutional failure to prioritize humankind. If humankind was prioritized from the get, our response would have included environmentally sustainable practices in our healthcare, which means that we would have rapidly shifted to making sure that people were cleaning their shit from the get-go. <laughs> and like, so I, I really am just kind of stuck in that space. And I would love to know how both of you react to that. I'd love to know why, or if you've seen, I don't know, like things like plastic straws. Now, it, like we were not, everybody was, there was bans on straws everywhere. Now it's like, everyone's using plastic straws again. Like, so I don't, how are we, where are we to do? <laughs> There's so many masks on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think that what's, what happened is people, because COVID has been dragging on for so long, because we haven't been addressing it properly because our healthcare system wasn't set up to, et cetera. Um, because of all those things, I think that people are getting that, um, uh oh like the fatigue when you like you know have to care about something for a long time and we're not set up for that we want to have like the short term like you know you know i'm sure people it's like the, the way people i'm sure are gonna expect things to change in the next couple of months you know like our change tends to be more incremental and we had gone i think in a good direction as far as incremental change for for environmental uh issues um you know, in healthcare, in, you know, restaurants, like you're talking about the, um, the ban on straws and stuff like that. But I, I think that people are just looking for comfort now. And it's like anything for comfort, even if it's, even if it's not uh, good for the environment, you know, and it's yeah. like prioritizing, like, I want to feel good right now. And I think people think that putting uh, humanity first, like I, like I like the way you're putting it because taking care of the environment definitely is taking care of humanity. But I think a lot of people look at it, like when you think about things like self-care, like yeah. people will think like, oh, self-care is going to the spa or going to get a massage or like whatever it is, when in fact self-care can mean things like you need to make sure that you like go to the dentist. If you could go to the dentist, you know, you need to make sure you can, you know, you, you, like do various things that you need to do to keep yourself going as a human being, you know? Uh, whereas self-care is being the adult and the toddler at the same time being like, we need to go to bed now. We need to eat this good stuff. You need to eat your veggies before you eat your dessert and you can't have too much dessert. I love the way you, I love that. That's literally what I do. I've never heard anyone say that like that. And that's so cute. I'm going to just talk to myself in that, way now because well with my um family systems therapy practices that i'll do with myself mm -hmm. like i do have multiple youth versions of myself that help me put into structures that i love about my daily routines and things and like so i've just never had that like connection to yeah. <laughs> adult toddler relationship spelled out like that so thank you hope that was great <laughs> yeah it's cool it's like the toddler is the you you have to take care of and the adult is the you that knows taking care of yourself isn't necessarily what the toddler wants to do oh my gosh it's so funny that i'm making a connection now people get really uncomfortable around me because i'm a my brain i'm an out i think out loud my psychology is i i talk to myself so like all the time so the older i get the better i understand which selves are talking to who and all of that jazz which is fun but that's what's funny is like 
I will do that out loud and not really explain that or like, yeah. So anyway, it's thank you for saying this hope because it's kind of fun for me to now be able to say, oh, that's why you're talking to yourself very poorly is because you haven't eaten any spinach today. <laughs> yeah, I have, there's a, there's this, uh, non-binary comedian actually that I follow on Instagram and they're always putting up these videos that are just like, did you take your meds today? Like it's literally like an everyday thing when they take their meds, mm -hmm. they're just like, here, that's up there. And then whenever I click on the story, I'm like, oh fuck, I didn't take my meds. I Griffin and I were getting ready to go uh, to the park and I like forgot something and I was standing there and I was like, I didn't take my meds yet. And so I had to run back inside and go take my medicine because I forgot. Also, okay. So I had, I did want to like touch back on this whole psychology thing because um, of the ways in which I started experimenting with chemicals. I do want to be very transparent about that before I go on the journey of being like, oh, I'm a clinical psychologist that has all these case studies. The case studies were not first child's children's everybody who's listening to this and thinking that I'm of an authoritative position at all. <laughs> like, it's not true. I have made very, very childish mistakes. Um, so, you know, for a lot of years, I am trying to find myself and figure out who I was. I was socializing with people that were doing very dangerous things, fun things that I highly encourage other people to do in your own safe ways. And I would also love to talk to anybody in depth about them. But, you know, like my coming to, to therapy was because of multiple years of using things like LSD, MDMA, ecstasy, marijuana, drinking excessively. Um, what else would I do? I never did heroin. I never did um, like hard crack. Uh, I did do other things like Adderall or benzos and ketamine, um, mushrooms. I, so I, I'm somebody who's like, wow, okay, the whole world. Um, and then take that and if there's anything else, parallel it to um, the sexual world times 10. So it's like, for me, my exploration of what was getting to therapy was like, oh, this textbook shit, maybe it's actually going to help because uh, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot. I could, I could benefit from some coursework. <laughs> like, you know. uh, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at. <laughs> cool. Is there, is there anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap up? Thank you for your time and energy, y'all. No, I think this has been fun. And um, like every other conversation with me, it's inclusive of many, many different topics, perspectives, variables. I'm a non-binary person living in the United States of America. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And look, what that means is that we recognize and validate the fact that life is not just one goddamn parallel path <laughs> so we want to make sure we connect with you in all of those pathways something that i wrote down very early into social work i have like post-its to remind me about like how to do good social work stuff and one of the things says you don't know nothing about nobody so i think a lot of what we're talking about today is just like getting back to the idea mm -hmm. that you don't know anything about anyone i don't care how long you've known them i don't care how little you've known them or what they're telling you, you don't know anything about anybody and you're not allowed to make assumptions. You're not allowed to judge and you're not allowed to make decisions for them based on what you're perceiving. Nice. It's a great lesson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, at the, so at the end we usually give shout outs to uh, like any organization or a company or whatever that, uh, speaks to us especially if it's something that's relevant to the episode doesn't really have to be though uh so is there anything you want to shout out to oh gosh um i have so many incredible people <laughs> i could reach out to here but you know what i'm honestly trying to be selfish in 2021 um i'm organizing people all through my own my own efforts and um yeah i would say if you want to get connected to uh the efforts of bringing trans and non-binary people to levels of brilliance and leadership in this country. Um, you can find me on Instagram at McGobro period co dot co. Um, and you can also visit my website, 
uh, www.mcgobro.co. We're a private company that has a nonprofit that does fundraising and strategically invests in that nonprofit to drive forward social action on behalf of gender affirming experiences. So I'm really excited to just kind of offer that up as an opportunity and also recognize that that is an extensive network of people doing that work in all 50 states across the United States. So thank you so much for just giving me the time and opportunity to share a little bit of it looks like on the on the inside of the daily daily job. Y'all want to see that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, wow. That's one oh, of yeah. the mirrors. I'm going to give my shout out to Allegheny so, and to Brogan for no matter how long it's been since we talked, I can reach out and it's not a problem. It's not weird. And it's thank you so much for being so vulnerable and open and talking to us about so many things on this episode. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll shout out to, to Dix for good again, just cause we usually do. And actually I know that she's raised money for the black trans community in Pittsburgh. So it seems very appropriate. So yeah. All right. Well, I think that that will be good for us. So I uh, hope I have a little sign off things that we normally say. So if there's something you want to say, um, you can do that. Uh, I am Rosie and facts matter. I'm hope. And now that you know better, be better. <laughs> I am broken. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am a simple, simple American guest. <laughs>